This is one of the highlights of my week right now. I am so excited to be here. Glad that you're here. If you've got a Bible, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. While you're doing so, what's up, Lakeville? We're excited that you're with us. Also, our live venue. Delighted that we've all gathered together. And we are in a series called The Search. And what we're talking about, we've been doing this now for several weeks. Uh, we're looking at a book in the Bible that is all about like, how do you find meaning in life? Like, what is life all about? How do you make sense out of a life that doesn't always make sense? Because the truth is, most of you have gone through seasons where it's been like, the questions I'm asking don't really match with the answers I'm getting, and you've tried to find meaning in that. Well, thankfully, God has given us a book that's all about where we can find meaning. And so we've been on this journey, our good buddy, Koheleth. Come on, he's like, you've got a Koheleth bumper sticker by now, right? Like, I'm friends with Koheleth or whatever, you know? We should probably make those. Koheleth, if you're like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't, Koheleth, I don't even see that anywhere in the Bible. Well, it's because in your English translation, it uses the phrase, the preacher. Koheleth is a Hebrew name that means one who gathers, kind of like we're gathered here, you know, to hear a message. And so they translate it, since there's no English word for Koheleth, they just translate the meaning of his name, which is Koheleth, or, or the preacher. Uh, he's a Solomon-like figure, which is why the book of Ecclesiastes has so much uh, parallel to uh, the person Solomon. So we're going to pick back up this morning in this search of trying to find meaning. I am such a long-winded preacher that they brought out clocks to try to keep me on task, but uh, it ain't going to work. All right, I'm just going to tell you. Uh, no, we're going to be talking about time and what is probably, even if you don't know anything about the book of Ecclesiastes, my guess is if you've ever been to a funeral or something like that, you will know this passage. It is the most famous passage in Ecclesiastes. Let's read it. If you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to look through verse 15, but I'm just going to read uh, down through verse 8, which is this, this Hebrew poetry. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what's planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace." Would you join me now as we ask God to speak to us uh, through these words and that the Holy Spirit would come and guide us in truth. Father, thank you for the privilege of, of being here together. Uh, what a joy it is to, to, to study your word, to, to learn uh, truth, to find where meaning is found uh, in a world that sometimes it's hard to see what's the point. Help us, Holy Spirit, guide us, teach us. The one thing we can know, regardless of what we're asking. And I pray that you would guide us to that end, the glory of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
everybody loves a good mystery. You know what I'm talking about, that, that novel that kind of keeps you in suspense, or, or maybe for you it's that movie that keeps you right there on the edge of your seat, or that story that somebody's telling and you're wondering the whole time who done it. Uh, people love a good mystery, and, and one of the reasons why I know that people uh, love mysteries is because if you look at a lot of the popular uh, television series, so many of them are based around solving things or figuring out mysteries or finding clues, uh, Bones, Blacklist, uh, Gotham, uh, um, uh, Law & Order SVU, things like that. Before then, there were shows, some of you will remember, like uh, Hitchcock and uh, The Twilight Zone and Murder, She Wrote, or Perry Mason. I'm really getting old for some of you. Um, or Unsolved Mysteries. The reason why these kinds of shows have been in every generation is because people love mysteries. You add to that the fact that mystery novels are the second most popular genre, of course, behind romance novels, right, uh, in all of, of the genres of novels. In fact, it's about $730 million in sales every year. What's my point? People love a mystery. They love that feeling of figuring it out, of solving the problem. Well, of course, the, the most famous mystery series or the most famous detective of all time has to be Sherlock Holmes. That's right. Very good. I thought she was going to say Inspector Gadget, all right? It's Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is by far the most known, uh, the greatest detective series or detective uh, in all of, of mystery writings. Um, and Sherlock Holmes is a great detective because of multiple reasons, but one is his, his ability to uh, observe. Right? You remember one of his famous lines is he would say like to Watson, you see but you do not observe. Like he, he would constantly observe the surroundings and that helped him solve the mysteries. Or his use of science. Another one of his famous phrases was data, data, data. I can't make bricks without clay. Or it was his use of deductive reasoning. He was always using logic to try to solve the mystery. And that's why he was able to solve so many different situations. But I don't know if you know this, but there was actually one mystery that the great Sherlock Holmes couldn't solve. I don't know if you remember this, if you're a fan or if you followed the series. It happened in the, the series of the episode of The Adventures of the Cardboard Box. And at, at the end of the episode, uh, Sherlock discovers a dead body, and I want you to listen very, very closely to the language he uses, the things that he says to his sidekick, Watson. Take a look. What is the object of this circle of misery and violence and fear? It must have a purpose. For our universe has no meaning, and that is unthinkable. But what purpose? That is humanity's great problem, to which 
reason so far has no answer. Who knew Sherlock Holmes was Coelith? Because did you hear the language that they just used? What is the meaning of it, Watson? What's the object? What's the purpose of this circle of misery? It must have some purpose. Or the universe has no meaning. And that is unthinkable. But what purpose? What's the point? Where's the meaning? There is humanity's greatest problem, biggest mystery, biggest question, to which reason so far has no answer. I submit to you the greatest detective of all time, albeit fiction, looks in the face of death and comes to the conclusion that it appears as though humanity is caught in a cycle that has no rhyme or reason. And as unthinkable as it is, science, human logic, cannot solve the problem. And for someone like Sherlock Holmes, there is nothing more frustrating in life than a mystery you can't solve. And that, faith family, is exactly how Coelho feels at the beginning of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Why? Because he has been on a search for two chapters trying to solve the mystery of meaning. He's trying to figure out, is there a purpose of the Son? He's asking the exact same questions that Sherlock Holmes has asked. What is the purpose? And if there's no purpose, then our universe has no meaning. It is vanity, vanity, vanity. And that's all he's got so far. And it's not for a lack of looking. It's not because he hasn't tried. He has more knowledge than you could possibly have. But what he says is the problem with knowledge is the more you know about most things in life, the more you wish you didn't. Knowledge doesn't solve the ultimate problems. You remember we looked at Daniel Tammet, one of the smartest men alive today. And what did he acknowledge? Logic has limits. And it's not been for a lack of having fun. Coelith has tried music and sex and laughter. He has had a party unlike any party you've ever been to. Uh, But the problem with the party is it keeps you coming back for more. It actually gets you addicted and promises you things it can't deliver. Like the great theological band, the Black Eyed Peas, right? You have to party every day. And then you have to do it again on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday to Sunday, right? It keeps you coming back for more. And it's not been a lack of success. My goodness, he has built houses and planted vineyards. He has a resume far greater than your resume. He has, a, he has accomplished so much in life, but he's ended up like Citizen Kane. Do you remember Rosebud? What was Rosebud? It's a missing piece in the puzzle of life. Paul Tripp says it this way, the problem with more is it's never enough. Another trophy, another step on the ladder, There's always more to do. And so he goes, I know what will do it. I know what will do it. Love. 
Right? Love will answer all problems. And so he seeks after a soulmate. He's addicted to love. As like Solomon, his heart clings to all these women in love. But here's the problem with living for a soulmate. Do you remember Janie Lane, the lead singer of the band Warrant? The problem with living for a soulmate is what does your soul do when she dies? And then lastly, it was work that we looked at last week, like Sidney Pollack. Well, maybe work will, language, justify my existence. Like that, Maybe if I do something significant, I'll be significant. But the problem with work is you work all your life and then you die, only to leave it likely to a moron. The odds are high. <laughs> or you leave it to somebody who didn't work all that you worked to gain that. They didn't earn it. And so Coelith comes to chapter 3, and I'm trying to bring you into the text to say, he's frustrated. Man, God, I've tried everything. It doesn't make any sense. I can't solve the mystery. So he steps back away from this personal pursuit of meaning, and he just begins to observe life. Verse 1, for everything there is a season <laughs> and a time for every matter under heaven. I'm laughing because this is the most famous of all Hebrew poetry. As I told you earlier, it's the most famous passage in the book of Ecclesiastes, likely because of that 1960s song by the birds. You remember that to everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a reason, turn, turn. And it basically just sings the whole song. And it just, it's, it's so sweet. It's like coffee mug Christianity. To everything, there's a season, right? And it how many times have I told you that I think the book of Ecclesiastes is the most misquoted book in the Bible? We pluck things out, we parachute in, and we just kind of isolate this verse or this passage, and we don't study it in its context. So, so I know you've been to funerals where this has been read, but could we just have a moment where we actually looked at this famous bit of Hebrew poetry in its proper context? Could we do that? It might be important. So let's read through it, show you like what it means, and then we'll set it in the context. So let's quickly go through it. Uh, important thing up front, okay? Man, I'm so excited. We're having fun this morning. Um, you got to keep these in pairs, okay, to understand how they go together. Like each verse fits together and is separate from the other. See, see if this makes sense. Verse 2. There's a time to be born and a time to die. What is that? That's the cycle of humanity. It doesn't take a biblical scholar to figure that out, right? You're born and you die. You're born and you die. That's the cycle of human beings. Next phrase, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. What? That's the cycle of creation, right? Things grow and they die. They, they're planted and they get plucked up, right? So in other words, you've got the cycle of humanity and you have the cycle of creation. Those two go together. Does that make sense? Okay. Th this means yes. You too, Lakeville and Venue, right? You with me? All right, next, next verse. Easy enough. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break up or break down and a time to build up. What is this? It's talking about there's a destruction of life, kill, and there's a preservation of life, healing. Just as there are destructions of things, breakdown, 
and there's a building up of things. Build up, like bridges and buildings and kingdoms. And do you see how those two things go together? Okay? Uh, there's the destruction of things and the preservation of things. Next verse. We're doing good so far. A time to weep and a time to laugh. Those are common emotions, right? A time to cry, a time to laugh. And that fits really well with what? A time to mourn, which is a wedding. I'm just kidding. A funeral, right? <laughs> a funeral. And a time to dance, which is a wedding. In the ancient Near East, times of dancing were, uh, were uh, weddings. I mean, it was a huge festival. So what do you have? Common emotions, weeping and laughing, that get expressed in common events, uh, weddings and funerals. Verse 5, this is the hardest one. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. If we understand the latter, we'll understand the former because we don't live in the ancient Near East and so the gathering of stones and casting of stones doesn't really make sense. But let me explain the first and then you'll understand the, uh, uh, the other. Um, there's a time to embrace. We're talking about relationships. There's a time where you embrace people and there's a time where you reject people. Are you with me? I would interpret it this way. There's a time for warm hugs, right? Frozen, right? There's a time for warm, I like warm hugs. And there's a time for cold shoulders. And that's very common in relationships. Now, what does that have to do with the whole gathering of stones? Well, it has to do with your relationship with your neighbor. Guess what? If you, if you and your neighbor were getting along in the ancient Near East, you would help your neighbor gather stones as he would plow his field. What would you do if you didn't like your neighbor or you weren't getting along with your neighbor? You'd throw your rocks into his field. Do you see? So it actually does fit together if you understand the ancient Near East. It's all about relationships. There's a time when you get along and there's a time when you don't. It's as simple as that. Verse 6, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. That is possessions. There's a time where you get things and lose things, a time where you keep things, and a time where you have yard sales. Next phrase, verse 7, a time to tear and a time to sow. Tearing is the idea of grieving. Or in the Old Testament, when they were grieving, what would they do to their clothes? They would tear their clothes, and there's a time to sew it back of reconciliation and restoration. This fits with there's a time to keep silent. In other words, there's a time when you just don't have the words. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have been grieving at a point in life so, so deeply that you just didn't have words to say? And then there was a time of restoration where what? You did have words to say where you had something that needed to be said, a time to speak. So those go together. And then lastly, a time to love and a time to hate. Common emotions. But when that gets lived out nationally or globally, what does it lead to? Next phrase, a time for war and a time for peace. That was easy. That makes sense? What does it mean? What does it mean? You're not going to like me. Because it's not coffee cup Christianity. Here are the kinds of things I've heard about this uh, Hebrew poetry that people will pull it out of context and say things like this. Uh, there are different seasons to life. There's just different seasons to life. All right? Top four answers are on the board. Survey says, eh, wrong. That's true. There are different seasons of life, but that's not the point of this passage. Or some have said this, 
Everything happens for a reason. There's a time for this and a time for that. And so everything happens for a reason. Survey says, wrong again. True, but not the point of this passage. Or here's probably the most common one I hear. It's proof text to justify behavior. It goes like this. It's okay to hate because the Bible says there's times to hate. It's okay to cry because the Bible says there's times to weep. Survey says, wrong again. And why are those approaches to this passage not the right answer? It's because it's not taking into consideration the context. I want to show you the context and then totally ruin this poetry for you, all right? Go back to chapter 1. Go back to chapter 1. In other words, when you come to chapter 3, if you're following along, you shouldn't be surprised with what Koheleth has said. Why? Because the narrator in chapter 1 has already told you what he's going to say. Back in chapter 1, look at verse 4. Now remember, verse 1 says, the words of the preacher, that is the words of Koheleth, this is what he He's going to say, verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes. What is that? That's the cycle of humanity. You're like shark teeth. A tooth falls out, another one grows in. Tooth falls out, another one grows in. It's the cycle of humanity. The next verse, verse 5, the sun rises and the sun goes down. It hastens to the place where it rises. Verse 6, the wind blows to the south, goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. Verse 7, all the streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. What's he talking about? He's talking about the cycle of creation. Are you with me? In other words, what he says in chapter 3 isn't new. It's what the narrator said he was going to say back in chapter 1. Now look at chapter 3, verse 1. When we get to this, Koelith says, for everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. That is, there are appointed times in life. There are appointed seasons in life. And what's the first one? Verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die, cycle of humanity, a time to pluck and a time to pull up. A time to plant, a time to pluck what's been planted, the cycle of creation. And then here's his summary statement, and then I'm going to give you the, the, the point. It just gets funny after a while, guys. It just gets funny. Verse 15 says, That which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been. Here's his point. Are you ready? Here is this famous Old Testament passage in its context. Your life is a series of appointments you can't control. Your life is a series of appointments that you cannot control. Why? Because these things aren't ifs, they're wins. Birth and death, love and hate, embracing and refraining to embrace, planting and plucking, laughing and crying, war and peace. These are fixed realities. It's not a matter of if you experience these things. It's that you're going to experience these things. 
It's a, to quote one politician, it's a rigged system, right? It's totally rigged. It's totally fixed. Like this is just how life is. There's a cycle of humanity, a cycle of creation, a cycle of relationships, a cycle of war, a cycle of peace, and everybody goes through this. Life is a, a series of appointments that you did not reserve and you cannot delete. And you're stuck like Groundhog Day in this meaningless cycle over and over and over again. You're like we talked about a few weeks ago on the treadmill. Someone has said that there are four seasons to a man's life. A time when he believes in Santa Claus, a time when he does not believe in Santa Claus, a time when he is Santa Claus, and a time when he looks like Santa Claus. And that about covers it. That's about it. It's a cycle, don't you see? Oh, listen, I, I, and I'm laying on the thar- sarcasm thick this morning. I know you feel like you're in control of time. I know you feel that way because you got your expensive watches. You got your nice fancy clocks. You got your little dry erase calendar on your refrigerator with all your weekly appointments lined up. Some of you are so sophisticated, you've got an iPad app. Ooh. Some of you are even more than that. You've got a full-time assistant that keeps your calendar. But I have a reality check for you this morning. Coelith is saying, whether you want to admit it or not, your life is a series of appointments you did not reserve on your calendar and you cannot delete from it. Did you reserve your birth? I'd like to make a reservation to be born. Can you delete your death? Uh, Do you mind taking that off my calendar? I prefer not to die. The spiritual gift of sarcasm is coming out strong this morning, all right? But, but, but do you get the point that I'm trying to say from the text? Can you say, I would like to make a reservation for an emotionless life. I will not experience love and I will not experience hate. Neutral. Nope. You can't stop these things from happening. That's the meaning of the passage. You are caught in a cycle, just like chapter 1 says, of a series of appointments you didn't put on your calendar and you can't take off your calendar. And how does that make Koheleth feel? Well, you might say, not very happy. He's a little frustrated, and so would you be, because here's what this means. Here's what it means that life is a series of appointments that you didn't reserve and you can't delete. It means, number one, you're not in control. I know you're glad you came to church today. You're not in control. Look at verse 9. What gain has a worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Translation, no matter how hard you try, toil, you can't stop the cycle, the business that God has given to man. Do you remember the famous line from William Ernest Hensley when he said, quote, it matters not how straight the gate How charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. And that's what we all want to be the captain of our soul. But Coelith is saying in his best Matt Foley voice, you're going to learn as you go out there 
that you're the captain of Jack Squat. And isn't that true? Come on, gang. This is wisdom literature. This is wisdom. Isn't it true when you take an honest look at life that there's a whole lot of things in life you don't have control of? And it drives you crazy, doesn't it? Because you live with the assumption that if I could be in control of my life, if I could be the captain of my soul, if I could sit in the captain's chair, then maybe life would make sense. There is nothing more frustrating to an American than the feeling that life is not in your control. It's why some of you don't like surprises. It's why some of you love rules and you cannot deviate from those rules. It's why everybody loves change until you get change. And it's why, and I'm not picking this battle this morning, I'm just saying in my years of a pastor, there has been no more issue theologically that I've seen people get mad over more than the topic of free will. You want to fire somebody up. I mean, you want the face to get red and smoke to come out the ears. You start talking about the issue of free will because people will be like, listen, ain't nobody, even God, going to tell me what to do. I'm the captain of my soul. I'm the the one that sets my fate. I'm the one that determines my calendar. And Coeleth is saying, you're foolish. You're not the captain of anything. You're stuck in a cycle of appointments you didn't reserve and you cannot delete. And it's frustrating, not only because you're not in control, but number two, you can't get the answers. Verse 11 this is another phrase, that, another verse that people quote so much. And I'm just, I just like read the whole verse, right? It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Coelth is so sweet. He's in a good mood. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. And then what does the rest of the verse say? Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. Like, don't quote the first of the verse and don't quote the, without quoting the second part. Because what's he saying? God has made everything beautiful. He's put eternity into man's heart. That is, we have questions, we want answers, but guess what? God's not given any. He's not given any. There, there's a line from the movie uh, Devil's Advocate, and we're not showing a clip from that, trust me, all right? And it's Al Pacino's character who's playing the devil, so he's playing the role of the devil, and here's what he says about God. Let me give you a little inside information about God. He's a prankster. Think about it. He gives man instincts. He gives you this gift, and then what does he do? For his own amusement, he sets the rules in opposition. Look, but don't touch. Touch, but don't taste. Taste, but don't swallow. Don't you see, like, God has put eternity in our hearts where we have all these questions and he won't give you any answers. It's like taking my son down the street to Toys R Us, walking him in and saying, buddy, look at all these awesome toys. There's Pokemon and Ninjago and Mario and there's Wii games and there's like all these things that you could possibly want for Christmas. And guess what? You ain't getting any of it. Let's go. (laughs) Now you laugh. How's my son going to feel? Frustrated to say the least, but angry is more likely. Why? Why would you bring me to the store if you're not going to get me anything? 
Why would you put eternity in my heart? This longing for answers. And then you don't give me the answers when I need them. You hold all the cards and yet you won't show me your hand. Life is a series of appointments that you didn't reserve and you can't delete. And the reality of that means you're not in control. You're not in control. And you cannot get all the answers. And here's the third frustrating thing about this, Coella says, is there's nothing you can do about it. Verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. That phrase, so that people fear before Him, is the idea that, that God puts man in His, in her place because of His sovereignty. That is, God is sovereign and you can't change His plan. He has decreed it, and if He has decreed it, it doesn't matter how many people vote against it, it's happening. And that leaves you helpless if you want to be in control of life. Charles Spurgeon, who you know is one of my favorite theolog- actual theologians uh, in church history, writes the following, There is no attribute of God more comforting to His children than the doctrine of divine sovereignty. On the other hand, there is no doctrine more hated by worldlings That is, you either love the fact that God is sovereign or you can't stand the idea. Because it means life is out of your control and you can't change it. So what does Coelith say? Here's his advice. Here's his advice. Verse 12, it's not new. He's given this advice like all the time. I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should what? Eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. In other words, the best that God will let you do is enjoy the life you can while you can and ignore the fact that life is out of your control. As best as you can do, put it out of your mind and just enjoy what you can. And here's why. Because if you spend your time trying to control what's out of your control, If you spend your time seeking answers that God's not going to give you, if you spend your time uh, trying to change what can't be changed, you will go mad. And that's why throughout Ecclesiastes, he's madness, 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 madness. So do what your mother told you. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. You didn't know your mother was quoting Ecclesiastes, did you? It's the best you can do. Enjoy what you can while you can and ignore the fact that you have no control over life. So here's the summary. Summary is this. Just like Sherlock Holmes, he's concluded that 
Uh, as unthinkable as it is, it appears as though life is nothing but a cycle, times and seasons which are out of our control. And so here's the question. Now, if you've zoned out, zone back in because here's the dilemma for Coelith. After all this, his search has come up empty. He stepped back and looked at time and history and he says, well, an honest approach to life, an honest observation at life is that it's a series of appointments that you didn't reserve and you can't delete. So... How can life have meaning if it's been appointed? How can life have meaning if the seasons and times have been appointed? Can I ask it a different way? It's the way that I hear so many people ask it. And if you're here this morning and you're brand new, or maybe like this is the first time you've even been to church in a while, my guess is you've asked this question before. It's a right question. It's an honest question. Here's the question. If God is sovereign, then what's the point? If God is sovereign, what's the point? Now, Coella feels like what so many people feel like at times, that if you were to believe in the sovereignty of God, that would somehow choke the meaning out of life. But what Coelith doesn't see is it's actually the sovereignty of God that gives meaning to life. Can I prove that to you? I want to prove it to you. Now, what I need you to do, right, Burnsville, Venue, Lakeville, I need you to put your big boy pants on. Put your big boy pants on because we're, we're, we're going to hit something heavy and I'm going to try to go slow enough that we can absorb it. But this is big, this is huge, and this is the best news in the entire world. Are you ready? You got your big boy pants on now? All right, so how would we answer the question, if God is sovereign, or if, if there's appointed times, then how can life have meaning? Now, before I give you the answer, let me give you a few things that Coelith gets right. So there's some things he's absolutely right on. Number one, life is a cycle of birth and death. Come on, we all know that. People are born and people die. That's a given. Number two, God is sovereign and we're not. Can I get an amen on that? Anybody? Like, God is sovereign, and we are not sovereign. Number three is God does not give you all the answers. Coelith is exactly right on that, and the reason why we know he's right on that, because listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, listen to this language. Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know, huh, times or seasons. Ecclesiastes 3, that the Father has fixed by His own authority. What is Jesus saying? Coelith's right. Cut the guy some slack. He's totally right. Here's the problem. What Coelith misses, though, is that the sovereignty of God is the best news in the world. Why? Here's where I need you to follow me. I'm going to try to go uh, slow and fast at the same time. Good luck, all right? Listen to the language the Bible uses regarding the most significant event in time and history. You ready? Listen, listen to the language 
that the Bible uses regarding the most significant event in time in history, namely the cross. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Here's the point right here. Everybody right here. The cross was an appointed time. God appointed a time for the crucifixion of his son. Next verse. Hang with me. This is about to become best news in the world. John 7.30. John chapter 7, verse 30. So they were seeking to arrest him, that is Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. They want to arrest him, but they can't arrest him. Why? It's not his time yet. There's an appointed time in which Jesus is going to be crucified. Next verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right, say it with me, time Christ died for the ungodly. So when did Jesus die? At the right time. Last one, Galatians 4, verse 4. And then we'll make the point. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Here's the point. Everybody looking, everybody listening. The point is simply this. The birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus happened at the right time, at an appointed time. You with me thus far? What that means is, throughout Old Testament history, Roman governments, wayward disciples, and everything in between, God had a plan, and He brought that plan in perfect timing. You still with me? Why? Why did He have an appointed time of the cross? Why did He appoint a time in which Jesus would be crucified? Here's good news. Not to frustrate you, but to forgive you. To solve the mystery of how man can be reconciled with God. To give you abundant life, not a meaningless life. The point, this is big stuff, this is big stuff. Think with me, think with me. Coelith is saying, appointed times mean that life has no meaning. The gospel says, an appointed time, namely the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, is the only thing that will give your life meaning. Appointed times don't make life meaningless. How do you know? The cross. An appointed time. The definite plan of God. The hour that God had chosen for His Son. And you say, but how is that good news for me? How does the cross then make sense in my life if there's a calendar I can't control? I 
please hear me. Please hear what I'm about to say. Here's how the cross brings meaning in life. A life is about a calendar you can't control. And here's how. Because God, because God appointed the cross, then no matter what He has appointed in your life, you have the guarantee that it comes from the hand of a Father that loves you. The appointed cross means whatever season of life I go through, whatever time I have to face, whatever season of life that's not on my calendar, whatever I have to go through, I know this. I know this. That time comes into my life from the hand of a Father that loves me. How do I know? The appointed cross. The appointed cross is all the guarantee I need to know whatever comes on my calendar that I didn't plan has meaning. Can I jump out of my skin for just a minute? That's the best news. That's the only thing that makes sense about life in a fallen world. When you're faced with a a, a mystery you can't solve, a question that you can't answer, you don't run to human logic. You don't run to human emotion. You tell yourself this, because God appointed the cross, no matter what I'm going through, I know it comes from a Father who loves me. This is what Coelith misses. This is what Coelith misses, and it's what we must get. The appointed cross is the only thing that makes sense out of to everything there is a season the only thing that makes sense. And it's the only thing that will give meaning in your life when you can't solve the mystery and when you can't answer the questions. So what do we do when we're out of here? I want to give you just a couple things quickly. Number one is, just, just look here, Lakeville Venue. Stop wasting time. You've been appointed this life Do you know how I know that? I don't know. Maybe it's because you're here. (laughs) Stop wasting it. Because can I tell you about another day that's been appointed? It has been appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. This life matters, and how you live matters. So quit wasting time. Number two is stop trying to explain life. I'm just going to say it in one simple phrase. What you need when you can't solve life's questions, are you listening? What you need is a big God, not all the answers. What you need is a big God, not all the answers. And number three is surrender. Surrender control. Because by the way, newsflash, you're not in control anyways. But what I mean by surrender to control is this, and then we're done. You've got to learn, and I've got to learn, to live with a heart of faith, not hands that have control. You're never going to make sense out of life if you're living with, what can I control with my hands? You're only going to make sense out of it when your heart is living by faith. Because what's the point of Ecclesiastes? Fear God and keep His commandments. You live by faith not by sight. So maybe you're here today and and there's something in your life that 
It doesn't make sense. It's a mystery you can't solve. A question that doesn't seem to have an answer. And you look at it and you're like, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason at all. My call to you, my serious, serious call to you is surrender today beneath the cross. An event and time in history that happened at the right time, when the hour had come, and according to the definite plan of God. Because here's the thing, that's the only answer you need to know this. God is at work in your details. It's the only answer you need to know that God is at work in your details. Know this, He is not late. He is not early. And He is not wrong. So turn Turn, turn today and believe. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Very, very convicting because we're all people that want to be the captain of our own destiny. And we need to be humbled. We need to be brought low and realize that there are events in life that are outside of our control. There are appointments that we did not reserve and can't delete. And the only way to make sense out of that is the fact that you're sovereign. And what your sovereignty proves because of the cross is that you love us. No matter what time we go through, no matter what season we go through, we can rest assured of that because you loved us so much at an appointed time you crucified your son that we might be reconciled to you. I pray, Father, for those in this room that do not have that hope. They they don't have that relationship with a really big and mighty sovereign God. May today they surrender and bow the knee and trust Jesus as Lord. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.